The following podcast is for healthcare professionals only. All views expressed belong to our speakers and don't necessarily reflect those of Nestle Health Science. This series was recorded in lockdown, so please forgive our audio quality while we didn't have access to a studio. Hello and welcome to Inside Medical Nutrition Podcast, a podcast powered by Nestle Health Science and hosted by me, Dr. Linia Patel. In today's episode, we'll be discussing how to manage blended diets in a school setting. And for this episode, I'm delighted to be having a conversation with Carol Bagley, a pediatric dietitian. I'm really excited about having this conversation with you, Carol. Um, To begin with, it would be really good if you could tell us a little bit about why you wanted to be a dietitian. Nice to meet you as well, Lena. Um, Yeah, my name's Carol, I'm a dietitian, and I've always wanted to do something which is medically involved. Um, patient-faced as well, and something that I could um, marry um, the medical knowledge with the practical knowledge as well. Mm. And as we all know, nutrition is integral to society. Yeah, It forms the backbone of so many um, social functions, um, social interaction. Um, and yeah, my journey's been everything I could have expected. <laughs> what has your journey been in dietetics? <laughs> so I started, as you can hear, I am from South Africa, where I did my training. But since then, I have come across and I've actually been in the UK for around 20 years. Um, And I did the usual starting in uh, acute tertiary hospitals. I was very blessed to get um, various locums in those jobs as well. And then it just progressed. And my first step into the pediatric world was getting an adolescent post at one of the London hospitals, mm-hmm. and um, which I enjoyed. And then it's just developed. And I've done various areas of pediatrics, done a bit of different training, and I find myself in the role that I am now. Okay. And tell us a little bit about the role you're in now. So the role that I'm in now is very exciting. When I started, it was challenging. It was something I hadn't been exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there since 2018, and my role now is the I am the pediatric dietitian for um, a service called Chaley Clinical Services, which okay. is a NHS service which provides services to Chaley Heritage Foundation School. So we are um, a team who, a multidisciplinary team, who okay. provide services to children who are attending the school who have a vast um, variety of neurodisability um, diagnoses as such. Okay. And my role is, as a dietitian is to ensure that all those children coming to the school receive optimal nutrition. And as you can imagine, there's a wide variety there as well, different feeding routes and different ways of feeding. And I can imagine. So how many schools does that actually involve? Well, we are based for the school on site, so it's one school. It's one school, okay. One school, yeah. Okay. And what does your work look like within the school from day to day? My work is varied, as I said. I guess um, the starting block is that I um, I do have the ability to see all the children in a clinic that, that we run weekly as well. Okay. So I see the children there, and then we would see them as necessary every and so how many how many children do you have in your caseload for example we have about 80 somewhere between 80 on our caseload yeah (laughs) and you're the only school's dietitian and I'm the only dietitian for that yeah (laughs) okay okay sorry I interrupted you you were saying so you see these 80 children within your caseload yeah and I think most of them um are probably children who who we would call home mental feeding children so children who have gastrostomies or jejunostomies um we do have a few who are oral eaters as well and as you can imagine um probably the vast majority are a combination well 
a combination of oral eating plus then the tube feeding as well. So it's a lot of interacting with um, the multidisciplinary team. We have, as I said, consultants, um, speech and language therapists who we work very closely with who are integral to it and have developed their own um, screening tool, something called EDAX as well, which is specific for cerebral palsy children. Um, mm. So people are really involved in these children. Um, we have physios, OTs, and um, coming back to my role with, as I said, so we have the clinic and then we also would work closely with the um, with the multidisciplinary team in the fact that we would have a lot of MDT meetings, okay. meetings sometimes with the patients and the carers. And other times we have um, our own MDT meetings as well. We would discuss the children um, together where they currently are and what we feel they might need to, um, how we might need to progress their treatment um, by instigating different feeding methods, um, different texture modifications, okay. or actual nutritional involvement. Okay, wow. So I want to take a step back a little bit. So did your interest in blended diets um, start with within this role, or were you involved in blended diets in previous pediatric roles? That is a very good question, um, because as I said, my background's acute, and to be fair, I had the bias that um, that blended diet was a bit risky. <laughs> um, but starting with this job, when I arrived, to be fair, I realised that there's a lot of blended diet, and I even did you know, the the um, a whole reflective piece on one of my first days about how I was going to manage this. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it nice. didn't take me long to totally realise um, that blended diet is absolutely wonderful. Um, I think what gave me confidence is I went to a few conferences as well. And it just so happened that I started to hear consultants mentioning it in their presentations as well about how blended diet is useful. So very much my experience has been here. I felt like I've learned a lot and I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm held by the amazing team where I work as well. Um, and I, I've linked in with other dietitians as well who are incredibly supportive. Um, and to be fair, the parents themselves have got a lot of experience. So it's tapping into all the knowledge there as well. Yeah. So how many children at your school follow a blended diet? I guess it would vary because it depends what the definition of blended diet is. So some would just be getting fruit juice or yogurt through their tubes, whereas others were getting all of their meals, all of the nutrition through it. Probably at any given time, around about 20 to 30 of the children at our school okay. would be on the blended diet. Okay. That type of blended diet. That's great. And then you mentioned before that obviously you've done a lot of learning by um doing reflector pieces yourself, going to conferences and things like that. But within the school, is there a specific policy or guidelines for blended diets has been created? Yes, so my predecessor has also done a lot of work <laughs> when instigating this all. Um, and there's definitely a very um, explicit blended diet policy, which we definitely follow. So every time somebody starts on a blended diet, we go through the policy with that parent and child as well. And then because we are on site with a lot of MDT teams, school nurses as well, the carers, the teaching assistants, the school nurses also have their own training program for people who are actually going to administer the feed as well. So those people have to be trained and competent as well. They go through a competency to administer the blend. That was going to be my next question is, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of training needed. So what exactly is that additional staff training um, and who's involved in actually <laughs> delivering it? Are the parents involved, for example, because obviously perhaps they're more exposed to dealing with blended diets? How does that work? Um, because it's the hands-on at school. Uh, it's the nurses who are involved in, in doing most of the training for the carers and the parents okay. as well. Um, and then the kind of guidelines you're talking about that your predecessor was involved in, is that just specific to your school? Or you know how um, nationally there's specific rules around ingredients for, I don't know, allergies, for example. Is there something like that for blended diets as well? Is that being developed? 
As you said, um, blended diet is a developing field. Um, so at the moment, I think the policy that we have tends to be relatively standardized compared to other schools, other places you have who do have blended diet policies at the moment. Um, and our policy tends to cover more things like the actual food handling, the actual hygiene, the food preparation, the administration of it. But that is a good question. Um, and I think practically whether you avoid things like nuts and allergens and all those things, which is hot at the moment, yeah. is up to our school do at the moment. It's not in the policy as such, but uh, we are all aware that there's a new, um, we're all awaiting, eagerly awaiting the new toolkit. <laughs> I imagine there might be some more guidance in and, that. And who's developing that toolkit? So that toolkit has been done by the consensus group, interest group of the British Dietetic Association okay. um, of the experts of who've, who've done it before as well. So, yeah. Fantastic. And when is that coming out? Well, I guess it's coming out imminently. They have been working very hard. I can imagine. I, I, we, well, we know who some of the people on the team are, and um, we are very lucky again to have all had all their involvement and input. And I think, as far as I'm aware, that it's 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 just about finished. And we just, I think it was slightly delayed because of COVID as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it should be out imminently, I imagine. <laughs> You've touched a little bit on this before about some of the practicalities of using blended diets within schools. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, you know, are blends always prepared at home? How's the equipment managed at school? Um, what are some of the t- challenges? I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think that's probably the biggest challenge, the actual practicalities of, of how this works. Because, as I say, there's so many different each child is different, each family is different, each dietary regime is different. And the whole emphasis of the blended diet is the idea that um, what we are able to allow a child to what we would call eat normally, but that would be very different for each child. So the practicalities are going to be different as well. Um, So just looking at our school at the moment, we do have, we have a wide, we have, as I said, within those patient group, the 25 to 30, there's a wide variety as to Mm. how the food is brought to school and prepared. So we would have some children who, um, are on a combination of feeds and blended diets. So they would have either blended diet or feed at school. Um, and then looking at the blended diet in, as such, the children who do have that, um, they some of them would be having the blended diet brought in from his home. So the blended mm-hmm. diet is prepared at home and brought in a cool bag to school, stored in a fridge, and then prepared at lunchtime in the right, according to the right guidelines, the right temperatures. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas others are, um, they don't bring any food to school and they are actually receiving meals um, from the school kitchen for lunch. So, the okay, school so kitchen. can I ask just a question there, Cal? So you talked about some preparation needed by the school. So would that be in the school kitchen? So there's a bit of a difference there. Yes. So in the school kitchen, the school kitchen are they are they are providing a blended diet. So they're providing the lunch for the school children, and then they would blend that diet for those of ours who need to have a blended diet as well. Okay. Okay. And then those blended diets they're administered at school by who? Is it normal feeding times or separate times? How does that work? So because it's a school, we do have a school lunch time, mm-hmm. and each. There's sort of different classes, and the classes have specific lunchtime, set lunchtime, which the ideal is that the children have it around that time. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so they, they would have their blended diet at, at lunchtime, basically. I guess that works because they're sitting with their peers, right? That's exactly the aim of it, yeah, to make it more socially um adaptive basically and socially norm okay fantastic and in terms of the child's hydration how's that managed in the same way or different 
That's a good question. So hydration is very important for these children, for all of the children, just even from their medical diagnoses that they have as well. Hydration is critical to manage their medical symptoms, clinical symptoms. And obviously nutrition plays a big part. So when we do our feeding regimes at, at our school, we actually, um, we would stipulate the the blended diet or the feed that they're on and very much we always put on there what their estimated fluid requirements are um, and we would add in onto the feed regime how many flushes they're getting lots of them would get flushes around their medications mm. um, or around the actual blended diet as well and then there's a whole different um, story when it comes to the actual texture of the blended diet tell <laughs> me that story yeah <laughs> so, that's oh my goodness that's again very site dependent i think each person probably tries to put in their blended diet in their risk assessment what texture we're aiming for um that's changed slightly recently as well because we've had the um introduction of something called the itsy framework mm-hmm. um so whereas before we would say the consistency should be like um like soup consistency or custard consistency. Now we're sort of aiming for a range of itsy, sort of probably between one to three or maybe even four as well. So what does um, one, two, one, two or three actually mean? So basically just, so it would mean that the consistency is slightly, instead of being like a thick porridge, basically, yeah, yeah. it's going to be more like a, like a, like a thin soup almost as well. Okay. Um, but as you can imagine, um, there's benefits for both and it is a very individual decision. For example, if you are going to have something which is quite thick, um, mm-hmm. it might, it's quite difficult to actually, if you're bolusing it through the tube, it might be quite difficult to get that texture through the tube. So having it slightly more fluid mm. would help a little bit with the viscosity. But then there's the debate about perhaps if you're watering it down too much, um, you're losing some of the nutrient content as well. Um so then it's just looking at what types of fluid you're using, whether you're using milk <clears throat> or water um, or like our kitchen have got some high, they use like a um, like a special plant-based cream, which they can water dilute down to different textures wow. as well. Wow. And I'm sure the cleaning of equipment is very important, right? Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Who does that? So that is absolutely integral we at the moment again um we sometimes find that it's that parents are not getting they don't have access to as many syringes or supplies as what we would like them to be able to have so it is very important that they just have to after every single um, administration clean the equipment and we just say clean uh clean warm soapy water there are people who would say sterilizers again it's up to individual um interpretation mm-hmm. um, but at the very minimum warm soapy clean water after every every administration and then we would probably say what well, we do say for example if they're using the 60 mil syringes which they would be using um, those should be changed at least weekly um, to to new 60 mil syringes as well okay but obviously the equipment of all the feeding preparation the feeding the feeding equipment like the blenders and the actual um, all the equipment used to to prepare the food basically has to also be very sterile and in our risk assessment there's also we always refer back to the food standard agency um, as to the good preparation um, wiping down surfaces in between before in between and after as well yeah and I'm sure training linked with that as well absolutely yeah Um, my next question is probably going to be a bit broader because I want you to tell me a little bit about um, from your experience, whether you've noticed any difference in terms of quality of life in children who are being given a blended diet at school? Um, yes. So again, quality of life covers a broad spectrum. Um, so things that we've 
ranging from reflux or bowel habits. Um, but as I was saying, I think um, just the social interaction, it's interesting yeah. to see how a lot of the children who um, <clears throat> we, we don't often initiate blended diet. It usually at the moment would come from parent or a carer or somebody who's involved with that child at school suggesting or asking if this child might be appropriate to start with a blended diet. Again, there are a lot of indicators which would suggest that a child could do well on the blended diet. But just listening to the comments we hear back from carers and parents, it, a lot of the time it's because they've seen what a difference a blended diet has made in the peer mm -hmm. and how um, that child has become a lot more interactive, engaged in meal times as well, and with family outings, being involved Fantastic. in the family meals as well. So. Yeah, a lot of the time. Yeah, that's great. And are there any um, specific cases or case studies that um, where you've used a blended diet in a school setting that stands out for you for positive reasons that you want to share? We we have a lot as well, but I'll talk about one. We have a I think let me just um, I think he's a seventeen year old boy who um, had a gastrostomy placed when he was about three and a half years old. Mm -hmm. um, 17 year old boy he had lots of hospital admissions um chest infections um he's got a complicated medical history so the, the actual placement of his gastrostomy can be a bit difficult as well mm -hmm. um and we've we had to change his feed regime a lot looking particularly at hydration to try and get him to tolerate it without vomiting and eventually we um came to a decision i think parents actually to be fair um suggested blended diet as well and that's 100 percent blended diet so he is now we we obviously didn't start he's now 100 percent blended diet yeah so okay. from being introverted he's now 100 percent blended diet yeah mm -hmm. wow wow and you've noticed uh, with him it's just changed the way that he's uh, so social interactions also medically the way he's uh, progressing as well absolutely he we started so he was on an elemental feed and um we gradually introduced, we had a discussion with parents who gradually decided which foods you were going to start with. And we started with one syringe for one of his feeds um, with oats porridge and then went according to what we had um, suggested as to which foods we wanted to try and include first. Mm -hmm. um, his parents also thought that he might have some kind of dairy allergy. So we obviously eliminated dairy. Mm -hmm. but we gradually built up. Um, we even got to add um, foods which contained dairy into his diet as well. Mm -hmm. um, and he got to the stage where he was having school meals. He also um, wow. lives in one of So we have residential children who live on site as well. So he was receiving meals from school as well as meals from the residential, um, his residential home as well. Um, and he's done brilliantly. He's within a few months, even his bowel habits have changed. He used to have quite loose stools. He's changed. And now it's sort of an average two times a day. Um, he, he hasn't, um, He's he's had very little vomiting. In fact, no vomiting as as far as I'm aware. He must have yeah, so no vomiting. And he's and the other good thing with him as well is that we always struggle a bit with his weight. And to be fair, when we put him on blended diet, his weight did take a bit of a dip initially. But mm -hmm. again, sort of to be expected a little bit. Um, but we worked with that very closely with him, and he's now at the. He, he's obviously a child, so we would want him to be the weight he's never been before. But percentile-wise, he's he's growing in the right direction, which we weren't haven't seen for for a while. So, so how, that's good. how would you how how would you change um, his regime just to op make sure that he's gaining the weight that he perhaps lost initially? 
So what we've done is we've added in snacks. We have, so in fact, so so example, he gets meals. He he we've just given him more snacks in between. We've made sure the snacks are high calories, so he gets literally things like cake. Um, we have actually also introduced something a, a product, a carbohydrate product, which we um which we would use in other children in other children who being entirely fed as well. Mm-hmm. But it's a product that we would use in foods as well. So we've made use of that. Um, and as I say, it just made sure that his when his so when we were talking earlier about fluids in the two to change the texture so it's making sure that every time we're doing his blends we're using things like milk full cream milk as well um just to get the calories in that way as well wow fantastic really really um great scenarios and case study uh, any others we have a lot yes we have another we have we have a few children who are um slightly older as well they just stay with us for a few more years so we have another child who is well a young adult who's 23 years old um and this young adult um whereas the previous one's parents are quite involved this young adult um her family are not always as involved so what happened was we had a best interest meeting with the consultant and the speech and language therapist um and her caring team as well um to establish first of all the suggestion was brought by her carers again because of her bowels um they tried everything and they wanted to see if blended diet might help so we had a best interest meeting um mm-hmm. where it was agreed that we would it, it, it would seem to be in her best interest to give this a go okay. um, and that we would then review it in six months time so that's what we did for her so for her we um in her feed regime was slightly different so what we did for her was she was having she was already having bonus feeds mm-hmm. so we gave her we just took a step example 50 mils of her intro feed and would give her one syringe at each of her bolus meals and then gradually increase that and she's again done well as well and when a six-month review came um no, yeah, bars again. We had had significant improvement. Um, her weight was always stable as well, so um, that's fine as well. So yeah, we've so she's been on that for a while as well now. Another positive story. Yeah. So what do you think the future of blended diets looks like, in your opinion? I think blended diets is definitely something which is emerging and evolving. And as I say, the um, the resources that we are starting to have available are, I think, going to just encourage and um, help professionals feel a bit more confident in having some guidelines to help guide the parents and the carers so that they can be the um, the expert in that field as well. Um, and so, yeah, we'll have to see where blended diet goes. It does feel as if it is gaining popularity. As, as I said earlier as well, I think it seems as if the word is spreading and as soon as somebody starts, there are more and more who see the benefits. And um, yeah, and I, I do think it's going to probably increase more and more and we'll have to keep working with the different institutions or uh, the different environments um, mm-hmm. to see um, what works for them and and as I say use the resources which are now available. Um, and particularly I suppose uh, your thoughts in terms of a school setting how do you think that's going to evolve and change? I think I think the school setting is um, is the, is the exact unique um, advantage of the blended diet as well because a school setting is where a child spends a lot of their time practically and the family as well Mm. um, on the one hand, although those children, as I said, a lot of them will have a lot of medical complicated medical complex um, diagnoses who will need to be liaising with tertiary tertiary medics um, and will have to have, some of them will be on very specialist feeds as well. There's a new piece of information which has come out in NICE in June 2021 Mm. and revolving around the um, shared decision making and I think that's going to be important. It's getting, it's encouraged whereas before the word risk assessment would sort of make you think that um, it was, there were consequences and you had to be a bit nervous about it. I think, I think 
going forward, looking more basing our decisions more around the shared decision making um, and right from the beginning involving stakeholders like schools um, yeah. and all parties will, will help a lot to to work out what's, what direction that particular school can go. Yeah. Well, I guess if there's going to be an increase in the use of blended arts, does that mean that your caseload is going to change even more? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you think you'll manage that? I, I think, as I say, I think what's the most helpful for me personally as well, what's been the most helpful has, is to have supportive colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is just recognising that this um, that this is something which is supposedly different to what we've done before um and on the one hand it seems like it can take more time and we need to be careful about the nutritional content and everything as well but i think it comes back to what we were saying about training mm-hmm. um if from the beginning we can work out where we need to focus our um, resources on training i think that can help a lot because then then we can champion the actual specific teams who are working in those areas, like the nurses, like the mm. catering staff as well, then then it's easy and it's easier to work on that. And then we get, then it goes back to making sure that when we see these children in our clinics, um, that we're monitoring their growth like we would with other children, that we're monitoring the nutritional content like we would with other children yeah. and things like nutritional bloods as well. Yeah. And maybe then also blended diets being used sooner within the patient journey as well, if they're deemed appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that brings in the whole question about possible hospital community, mm. um, and I guess the thought at the moment might be to try to introduce blended diet when a child is possibly more medically stable, which would be when they are in the community. So, Cara, how do you feel about blended diets being used when you're eating out or day trips or holidays? I know you mentioned day trips before. I think that is one of the most that's a very good question, actually, because it's it's integral to the um, enjoyment of these blended diets. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's happened just recently, actually. We had a child who, um, for various reasons, we she's we we changed we we wondered if we should perhaps change her back from the blended diet to formula feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, one of her mum's first um, concerns and strong concerns was that she she so enjoys being able to take her child out to a fast food chain mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and give her child what she wants and enjoy that experience as an, as an outing together as a family. Yeah. And she was asking if we were to change, she wouldn't be able to do that. And and, and that's that's so important to her. Um, so, yeah, so that's one of the things. And then I think um, another area in eating art is we have a lot of children who live on the bungalows. Yeah. And um, they one of the activities they do a lot of the time there is they would make food as well. They would make cakes and brownies and all those kinds of things as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's often in clinic, we'll have children, well, a few times we'll have children who come to clinic and that's when you're doing the diet history with them, it off, it will get mentioned about how um, dessert was a piece of cake and that's what they'd made and they'd been able to share it with their, oh, with their peers. Yeah. Um, and they can participate in birthday cakes and those types of things as well, which is a first for many. Which is Absolutely, yeah. Well, Carol, it's been so wonderful chatting. I feel like I've learned so much. Um, now, at the end of each podcast, we um, I ask guests to leave a key message for our listeners. Um, so we've been talking about managing blended diets within school settings. So if you were to leave some takeaway points for our listeners um, from today's discussion, what would they be? I would say, first of all, that um, just looking at the blended diet as well, from what we can see, I definitely think there do seem to be children who we can say there's been an improved quality of life, who have mm-hmm. had improved symptoms and whose families are so grateful for the input that they've had and who feel like they've been asking for 
some kind of norm for a few years and this gives them that con this gives them something that they can feel that their child is, is part of the family so that would be one of the messages and then yeah. alongside of that would be that um I definitely think I've my experience has been so enriched by the fact that there have been so many professionals involved and I think that it, it can be difficult to get that sometimes but I think within dietetics there does seem to be a group of people who are willing to share information, work together. And I think let's just keep that momentum going um, mm -hmm. and to so that we can feel confident in being the expert in these areas. And then the um, the next thing I'd say as well is looking forward. I do think that I guess looking, linking into my second point as well would be the fact that um, we can be encouraged by the fact that there do seem to be more resources available um, and this whole shift between whereas before it was like a, it was risk assessing and it was making sure the consequences didn't weren't dire. Now mm. that's changed, as I say, more to this this new guideline, I would imagine, of shared decision making. Mm -hmm. um, and so right from the beginning, involving just identifying who the various stakeholders are, um, and making sure that that and trying as far as we can to bring those people together when we establish our training um and policies going forward. Brilliant. And if listeners want to have access to some of the resources you've mentioned, do you have any places where they can go find some more information? I would definitely say um, the, the BDA at the moment is the place to go. So that's the toolkit we're all waiting for. Okay. Um, and then even the bent, and then I think obviously just your um, the food standard agency with regards to the, um, the the preparation and storage and hygiene requirements around it as well. Um and then also the BDA for the um, pediatric healthy eating guidelines. Okay. Um, but then just your normal, your your usual healthy eating guidelines as well okay. would, 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 would serve as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been so good chatting to you. Thank you for sharing um, so passionately your experience and your expertise. Thank you so much. It's been good to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Medical Nutrition. If you enjoyed the podcast and found the content useful, please share it with your colleagues and consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. For more information on this topic or to share your feedback, please visit the Nestle Health Science N Plus Hub or click on the link in the show notes.